Father, we thank you again. We thank you for uh, everything that you have done for us. We're so grateful. We ask you that you would indeed bless us and that you would be uh, present with us during the course of this message. You've already been here in this service, in worship, in our greeting one another, in giving, Father. Even in our announcements, Lord, you are present. We realize that. Uh, bind our hearts together. But again, we ask you that you would teach us. And Lord God, give us the courage to do what you want us to do and to be who you've called us to be in Jesus Christ. So we love you. We thank you. And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Names are important because they function to identify a person and at times to clarify our expectations or their roles before us. These would be the reasons why everyone, uh, they have their own unique name and not the name of someone else. But God is known by many names in Scripture. And his name also reflects his character. I'm not sure if you know what your name means, uh, but if your parent has given you a name, uh, hopefully, and I do say hopefully, right? Hopefully they gave you that name because it meant something to them. Now, I'm not sure uh, what it was, but you certainly know. But God has names, and his name does not reveal anything to him that he did not know, but God's name reveals to us who he is. As an example, God is known as Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, my banner. He's known as Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. He's known as Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. Or Jehovah Shama, because he is here, or he is near. But he's also known as the Lord of hosts and the Lord Almighty. Those are some of the names that we find out about God in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, he's also known as Jesus, the bread of heaven, the bread of life. He's known as the Son of God. He's known as the first and the last, Alpha and Omega. He's known as the Word. Now, these are not exhaustive lists but they give us insight into his person and the role that he plays in the history of the world and in biblical history as well, and specifically his role in our individual lives. Well, we may not always refer to him by these names at all times, yet they serve as a reminder to us uh, of the place that he has now and into all of eternity. 
Well, today's message, it focuses on a specific name of God, but it does not refer to that name directly. What is that name that today's message refers to? It refers to Jehovah or Yahweh, or the Tetragrammaton, Jehovah Jireh. And many of you know that because you know the song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Uh, so today's message, it focuses on Jehovah Jireh as being our provider. So when we think of provider, we think of one who gives to us or to another what is useful or necessary. So the Lord is one who gives what is useful and what is necessary. Why? Because he's Jehovah Jireh, because he is our provider. Now, the Lord, as Jehovah Jireh, that he's first introduced to us in Scripture all the way back in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. And there back in Genesis chapter 22, recall the story of Abraham. And God told Abraham, Abraham, go and take your son with you because I want you to make a sacrifice before me. And you recall how Abraham said, okay, so he took his son and a servant with him. But he asked the Lord, well, where is the sacrifice? Right? The Lord said, I'll provide. I'll provide a sacrifice. So he gets up there and he tells his son, son, I need for you to lay down on the wood or whatever it was. You know, as he, uh, I can imagine with my sanctified imagination, uh, bound his hands and his feet. And I can see his son, Isaac, saying, Daddy, um, uh, I'm laying down here with my feet and my hands, and you said we've come here to sacrifice. Uh, what's up with that? And uh, Abraham says, Son, don't worry. Uh, the Lord will provide. Uh, now, I'm not sure how many of you would make it to that point. Now, I need to tell you that if you think God has told you to do that, think again. Amen? Amen. God did not tell you to sacrifice your son or your daughter. You say, well, wait a minute. He did it right there in Scripture. But also, remember this. Wait a minute. Jesus Christ was already sacrificed for you. And his sacrifice was done once and for all and for good. So God will never tell you to sacrifice your son or your daughter. Now, uh, you may say, well, you don't have to tell us that. Now, you do know years ago there was somebody who did that, right? Right? A little off their rocker. 
because they don't have or didn't have the theology that you have and you know better, right? Because Jesus Christ was already sacrificed for you. So there in Genesis 22, 14, God provided a ram to be sacrificed instead of Abraham's only son who was slated to be offered. I don't know about you, uh, but sometimes life feels that way. When all we have is, is on the chopping block, leaving us to wonder whether or not if we can give anymore. We wonder to ourselves, I've given this and I've given that. And Lord, I have no more to provide for anyone or anyone else. There is nothing else left. But in the back of our minds that we should say that even though we don't have anything left, that one thing that we know that Jehovah is Jireh. Because God is our provider. But it is God who has provided out of the depths of his personhood repeatedly for us through Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, Jesus, he never stops giving, does he? he Jesus never stops giving for us. In fact, right now some of you are sitting on a pile of needs. You're sitting on a mountain of stuff that you need to be fulfilled, wondering if it would ever, ever get taken care of. And when our needs appear so massive that some often give up, they give up because there's no way that I can make provisions for all these needs. There's no way that God can help me out here. Then we give up. We give up. We no longer care. Tossing all caution to the wind because we say to ourselves, not even God can take care of this. But if you were in Bible study today, one thing that we learn there that we find in the Ten Commandments when it says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, don't lie on someone else. Listen to what I'm saying. When you say that God can't, you're lying on God. When you say that God can't provide in this case, you are bearing false witness against God. Yes, you are. Because you are saying that God can't, but yet you are not God. You don't have the exact mind of God. You don't have God's power. You don't have God's authority. So when you say God can't, you're lying on God because there's nothing that's too hard for God. Isn't that what Scripture says? 
Remember this. Our needs being met is dependent on God who is our provider. Philippians chapter 4. I know you're probably saying, is he ever going to get there? Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians 4, verse 19. Do you believe God? Let's try that again. Do you believe God? Is God a liar? God is not a liar, and you do believe God. So if that's true, then verse 19 must be true because this is the word of God. And it says what? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Huh. Let's try that again. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So if you are sitting on a pile of needs that seem impossible, the word of God, this is not me speaking, I didn't write this. Can you say amen? All right. And my God will supply some of our needs. Try it again. And my God will supply most of my needs. Does it say, and my God will supply 10 of my needs only? And my God will supply every or all needs of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This verse is connected with the previous verses. And we know this because at the very beginning of the, the verse, we see that one word that's screaming out to us, and that one word is what? Okay, all right. All right. So some of you are there, some of you are not. Uh, the one word that we see screaming out at us at the very beginning of verse 19 that tells us that we need to open up our eyes is the word what? And. And. And calls for us to connect verse 19 with what has been said before. What has been said before is important for our understanding of this word. And if you don't recall that message, I'll just bring you up to speed. Recall how all churches throughout Macedonia that they did not support the ministry of Paul financially. Remember that? And we said that Macedonia was like, uh, we'll say, like Cook County or DuPage County or Collin County uh, there in Texas, right? Uh, and in those counties, there's many towns, and in those many towns, there can be many, many churches, right? So throughout this, we'll call it a county of Macedonia, uh, that Paul said that uh, no church supported him financially uh, with their resources, but then he says, except for one, and that was which church? That was the Philippian church. By financially supporting the ministry, they demonstrated God at work in and through them. And we came to this conclusion because we recall how it was God who called Paul to the people of Macedonia. And if God calls us to do anything, 
then he will provide all the resources necessary in order to accomplish his will. Can you say amen? God will, uh, he will provide every single resource necessary. Therefore, the people would ultimately be a part of the ministry that they were supposed to, remember the word, they were supposed to be conduits for the resources uh, of God to flow through them and to the ministry. I recall uh, one time I was, uh, uh, there was a pipe in our house that had, had broken and it was leaking in the ceiling in the basement. And uh, uh, so I had gone down there and me and my sons, we uh, had to end up, we cut out a section about uh, 18 inches long or so. And so we cut the section out about 18 inches. And then after we cut the section out 18 inches, we looked at the pipe and inside that pipe, it was all closed up on the inside except one little bitty line. Have you ever seen pipes like that before? All right, you see, uh, so when a pipe on the inside gets closed up like that, that means the water, or whatever the case may be, that's supposed to flow through it, all of a sudden it is restricted, right? Uh, because we want the full flow of water or the full flow of whatever is leaving uh, the kitchen or leaving any area of the house, we want it to move unobstructed. Can you say amen? So what happens within the body of Christ when those do not people do not respond to God, to God as believers, what happens, the pipe begins to close. The pipe begins to close, and uh, the flow that's supposed to go from God uh, to uh, the, the, the end game, all of a sudden it becomes restricted. And then when it becomes restricted, uh, for instance, you know this in your house as well, if you turn on the water, and the water is, is coming out really, really slow, that one thing that you can definitely say to yourself is that, indeed, that the, the flow of water has been restricted. But then what we need to do is we need to cut out all the stuff that's reflecting the uh, restricting the flow and put it in with something that's open and then when you put it in with something that is open then what's meant to flow freely all of a sudden it comes gushing out amen same thing happened in our house uh, once the new copper pipe uh, the, the galvanized pipe was removed and the new copper pipe was replaced all of a sudden the water started to move freely throughout the house Within the body of Christ, we find out there, Philippians 4, 15 through 18, that the people of God are supposed to be that open and free conduit for the resources of God. But the scripture says God will. Indeed, we must note there in verse 19 that Paul says not just God will, uh, Paul says, my God will. This is important as Paul speaks of his personal connection with the Lord and not a secondhand relationship. You see, Paul was not living his relationship with God based on a preacher, amen? God was not, uh, Paul was not uh, living his relationship with the Lord based on, uh, based on the apostle Peter only. Paul was living his relationship with the Lord based on what he had a firsthand knowledge with God himself. See, 
when we fail to foster, when we uh, refuse to nurture uh, that relationship with God, uh, then we can sense the flow of the Spirit begin to restrict to us because ultimately it is God who wants to do a miracle in our heart. It is God who wants to transform us. It is God who wants to conform us to his image. And the more you get in the way, the more you, you restrict the blessings of the Lord to you. Paul says that there is a personal connection that I have with God. And I want you to know it's not their God. Uh, remember how the seven sons of, of, of Sceva, how they said that uh, they decided they wanted to cast out demons. Remember that? Right. Oh, I, I cast out you, uh, you demons, in the name of, of Jesus, whom, whom Paul proclaimed. No, or whom Peter proclaimed, or whom Stephen proclaimed, whom somebody else. In other words, I cast you out based on what they know. But God says that uh, your relationship should be based on what we know. Uh, therefore, uh, Paul says, my God, I'm letting you know that I'm here today. It's not because of me. It's not because of anyone else. It's because of whom? It is because of my God. I have a personal relationship with him. It is not because of my mama. It's not because of my father, my sister, my brother, my preacher, my friend, no one else. It's because of who God is, my relationship with him. So therefore, Philippians, I can tell you today, it is my God who will supply all of your needs. Amen? The psalmist David was no different. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 7, David said, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. He says, To my God, I called. You hear what David said? He didn't say uh, to the God of the first king of Israel, uh, to the God of Samuel, uh, per se. He says, he says, to my God, I call. But then look what he goes on to say. He says, from his temple, he's talking about God from his temple, he heard my what? 2 Samuel 22, 7, from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. You know that uh, you can be in a, uh, a crowd of people, right? You can be in a crowd of people and, uh, and you can have your child with you and if your child gets separated or someone else, your husband or wife, get separated, even with all those people in that crowd and all kind of stuff going on, if that one person were to call your name, you'd instantly know it's them, wouldn't you? You instantly know. So therefore, we are to have such a relationship with God that when we call him, that he will hear our voice. Amen? Uh, scripture says that, uh, God says that his children, uh, that he hears the voice of his children. Right? God hears your voice. You should hear his voice as well. 
Well, Jesus in Mark 15, verse 34, he also conveys these sentiments as he was praying at the point of the cross. It says in Mark 15, 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, uh, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, he knew that he had uh, the relationship with God in his, uh, according to his humanity and felt as if God had forsaken him. But yet, one thing that he knew, that God was still his God, even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of suffering. So as you suffer, as you go through, you can cry out, Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not that God can't, but God, I want you to know that he hears your voice. A deep relationship and connection to the Lord is critical in our understanding about what Paul wants to address. And if a relationship with God is not fundamental uh, before dealing with this topic, then we are bound to be offended. You will be offended, absolutely. If you don't have that foundational relationship with God, then you are bound to resist the Spirit's work. That if you don't have uh, that very basic relationship with God, then you are bound not to grasp the riches of God's grace today. Amen? So my God will meet every need of yours. Again, the translation we are most familiar with is, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glories by Christ Jesus, King James. So we talked about God, who is our God, and the position he should have with us as our focus in our relational connection as the only divine. We're also aware of how, recall how the Philippians participated as conduits of the Lord's resources. They provided for the needs of Paul as he ministered the gospel. And then we saw the benefits last time of uh, the believers that they had by partnering in with the gospel. And that was having their gifts being acceptable to God. Remember that? Uh, remember their gifts? Uh, the scripture says that they were sweet-smelling to the Lord, right? And as viewed as a sacrifice coming from their hearts. But also know this, brothers and sisters, that every gift that you present before the, the Lord is not acceptable to him. I'm going to say that again. Now, I know that some of you, you give, amen? But sometimes we give and we do things and we minister before the Lord and they are not acceptable to him. Did you know that? Did you know that God does not accept every single gift that you give him? If your heart is not right, you say, really? Okay, Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Look at Aaron's sons. Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 3. Now, Nadab, you go ahead, sister. Now, Nadab and Abihu. The sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered 
unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. In other words, when my guess is, right, here's my sanctified imagination, is that when Aaron saw his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, go in and offer that profane incense uh, before the Lord, that they, they, they died on the spot because God says, I'm not taking that mess from them. Right? That when that happened, that Aaron, that he wanted to complain about God. He wanted to complain about God. He wanted to say something that is not right, it's not just, here we are, just doing the Lord's work, and, and, and God is not fair, God is not righteous, uh, God is not just, Aaron wanted to say that, but when Moses finished that, God says that I will be sanctified. In other words, God says, don't treat me like regular folk, amen? God says, don't treat me like common people. God said, because I am not like your friend. I am not like your neighbor. I am not like your mother or your father. He says, I am holy. In fact, he tells us to be holy as what? He is holy. God says, I'm not playing this. I'm not playing games with you. You know, sometimes when we offer our gifts before the Lord, you know we're playing games with him. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh-uh. I'm, as soon as we say, I'm not, you should have took a, a, a clue from Aaron and held your peace in your heart, right? So you don't say it out loud, because hopefully I don't hear you, right? Because I have the elders take you out. Because they ready, amen? They ready, elders, they ready, right? Oh, I'm not, I'm not, here you go, I'm not. As soon as you say that, you should have held your peace. And then you end up giving Whatever you give, you should have ended up keeping it. Amen? And the problem is that God may not curse that. God will still use that on the one hand, but know that you may end up deficient or diminished in another capacity in your life and can't figure out how I end up in all this mess. It's all because of the heart. It's all because of the intent of the heart. So God's promising to supply all of our needs. That's a bold statement, ain't it? That's bold. Because you say that if God supplies all of our needs uh, or our every single need, that means that every need of ours that God is going to have to take care of. That's what you're saying. Are you saying that? And guess what? Yes, I am. And why am I saying that? Because I'm only repeating what God says. Amen. And if God said it, that's good enough for me. Amen? It's bold because we look at ourselves and the great needs in the world and think God is not providing for all of these needs. But I don't have to defend God because he's perfectly capable of doing this himself. 
Our responsibility is to believe because he did save us from, from an eternity of separation and unimaginable suffering. He already did it. He always, already connected us with us. What more do we want him to do? Now the word need, my God shall supply all of your needs, indicates a sense of lack or some deficiency where there should be none according to us. And our need differs from something that we desire. You may desire that you want a bigger and a better house. Amen? Uh, you may want to desire a deep dish pizza. You may desire a, a smash burger or a burger from your favorite place. Or you may desire some good old uh, uh, greens and, and macaroni and, and some ham right now in the midst of church. Uh, amen. You may want all of that stuff. Same goes for our clothing and our cars. A child tells their parent, I, I need those Nikes. I need those. Under Armour shoes or whatever the case may be. I need them. Have you ever heard a kid do that? My kids made me mad one time. I made them wear their shoes until they, their heel was hanging off the back of their shoes. They'd be like, okay, now we're going to get you some shoes. Because I just bought you some shoes last week. You tell them you need new shoes? Uh, parents, you learn your lessons, don't you? Amen. Amen. But uh, do we want... Or do we desire that thing? Or do we, do we need it? Do we want it? Or desire it? Or do we actually need it? For instance, if you don't have any food, then you need food if you want to live. Amen? If you don't have a house, then we can say you lack shelter. Now, it's not that everything that we don't have is an abject and holy uh, need that we have or a hole in our lives, but it is to say there are basics that are missing. And you don't need for me to tell you this. For example, uh, the floor in your home may be all roughshod. You may have planks coming up out your floor, right? And someone may trip. You got splinters all in your feet and things of that nature, right? You need a new floor, amen? You don't just simply desire it. You need a new floor in your house, else somebody's going to get hurt, namely you, amen? And some of you are getting too old to be getting hurt in your house because you're not taking care of stuff. Can you say amen? All right. So now, let us consider what is lacking in your life, and this isn't solely relegated to the material needs in our house. In other words, I need a new floor, or I need a new car, or I need a new this, or I need a new that, a new shirt, right? You know, when God says that he shall supply all of our needs, he also mentions other things. He supplies the needs of our spirituality as well. Or even uh, you might still grieve the loss of someone that you love. And that hole in your heart is ever-present. It's not that you want to unmiss them because you want to miss them. But the pain can be so overwhelming, so devastating that you just don't know how you can go on. And by the way, this sense of loss is not just focused on death, but also a separation that you may endure. 
all you know is that it hurts and where there was something once there, now it's nothing. So a sense of wholeness is lacking in you due to circumstances that you think that are beyond your control. But I tell you, whatever your situation is, that your, control, your situation is not beyond the control of the Lord. And again, to suggest that there are some things that even God can't fix, it betrays your true beliefs about him anyway. Those thoughts minimize God's power and authority, thereby not allowing him to work as freely as he wants to work. At one point, even Jesus made this declaration in Matthew 13, uh, 58. It says that he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Connection there. So if you feed yourself this, then know you diminish God in your own eyes. Can you or will you allow the Lord to fully minister to you? This means accepting his assessment of you and your situation. Is it true? This is one thing I love about being around the body of believers who really love you. Because when you're around a body of believers who really love you, those folks who really, really love you, they're going to tell you the truth. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. They're not going to sugar, well, maybe they're sugar-coated only to a degree, but then they'll get down to the nitty-gritty and tell you the truth about your situation. Can you allow God to minister to you? At the end of the day, every drug prescription, every counselor you visit will lead you down a path to release what you don't have control over. That counselor that you're going to, or those uh, prescription drugs that you're taking, is to bring you down a path so you can say, let me just let it go because I have no control over it anyway. That's why you're there. But God has already given us his prescription that God himself, he is our counselor. Because he says, uh, Paul says that my God will do what? Will supply every need. So many of us can, can eliminate some of those things if we lean upon the Lord. Now, say but. Let's try it again. Say but. Okay. But. If you are in a place and you are so struggling that you can't even see your way through Scripture, then you need some additional help. Can you say amen? amen. All right. Uh, if you need that additional help, ain't nothing wrong with it. Amen. God bless you. Get that help. Get out of the gutter and move on. And you tell people what God has done for you through them. Amen. All right. So I am not telling you don't see a counselor, amen? I am not telling you don't take those pills, amen? Because for some of us, we have been so entrenched in the gutter for so long that we can't pull ourselves up, that uh, no other help can get us there. But God is also using those things in order to give us victory in the name of Jesus Christ. So we thank the doctor, we 
thank uh, the pharmacist. We thank the nurse. We thank the counselor for helping us because God has used them to supply our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So your need can be truly broad as you attempt to navigate the emotional landscape which you traverse day in and day out. What is your need? This is that point when you must be honest with yourself and with God. What is your need? And your answer to that question unlocks another question which must be answered also. And here it is. Why would God provide for your needs in the first place? Remember, God doesn't play tit for tat. But he certainly honors those who honor him. And now this returns us again back to verses 15 through 18 in Philippians 4, which was addressed last time about believers who obediently and faithfully partner in the gospel. How are you doing in that area? Why would God provide for your needs? Have you been a faithful conduit of God for the body of Christ, for the church? Now verse 19 again. It's absolutely fascinating that as we have walked through this entire book of Philippians, now we're making it to the very last verses. And Paul is at the very end. And now it seems he decides, in our minds anyway, to talk about money. This is a spiritual issue that some of us have backed up. We understand this. Some of us, we become backed up spiritually. We may be spiritually constipated because of our view on this issue. We always take in, but guess what? We never release for the body of Christ. And when that happens, ultimately we get blocked up. There is some blockage going on in our life, and we need to, the Holy Spirit to let loose all of those things that he's trying to bless uh, the, the church, the body of Christ with. So we're supposed to be conduits of God's will in the church, but there is a blockage in how can the church receive what God had intended for it. Frankly, it can't. At least not through you anyway. But no, their partnership was one of the reasons that, that, that Paul wrote this letter in the first place. That believe it or not, this was one of the reasons that Paul wrote this epistle to the Philippians. You say to yourself, but wait a minute, I thought the, uh, the, the title of this series was Sticking Together for the Joy of the Gospel, right? I thought that's what it's about, about us, part, us, us being together within the body of Christ. This is true. And we see this over and over again in this epistle, yet, as with the Word of God, there's always more. Return with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul says here, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, 
always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See that? So Paul, he began to talk about this partnership. Of course, they were praying for him. They were partnering with him in prayer, but also they were partnering with him uh, in, in other areas concerning resources as well. We saw hints of this throughout this epistle. So, uh, some believe that this is, uh, again, uh, even though this, uh, this fellowship within the body of believers is one of the key areas within the book of Philippians, but also the idea of partnering within the gospel through our resources, also one of the main points that Paul tries to stress in this book. But it's also important to note, brothers and sisters, that God does not provide compensation for your work or ministry. You're like, what? God doesn't uh, give you compensation. While he is your head, and at times God is like our boss, amen. Well, he's certainly my boss. This is not an employer-employee relationship. It is a Lord-disciple relationship. It is a father-child relationship. It is a God-creation relationship. You see, when we are compensated for work, then we expect fairness, don't we? You know, I worked for, uh, 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 I worked for uh, 45 hours last week, and you only paid me for 40. I want my just due. <laughs> Imagine going to God for that. Lord, I came to church and I give, and then what's happening is that I'm not being, I'm not being blessed, so I want my just due. Okay, you want to go to hell? Is that what you're saying? God said, you, okay, you want to go to hell? I mean, how much must you do in order to earn your way to heaven? Right? What do you what can you do in order to get your life back? Why? Because we were destined, destined for an eternity separated, a, a destiny towards hell in a handbasket, flaming with gasoline. All of us were on our way there. What can you do to earn your life back? God says nothing. God says absolutely nothing. If you want your life, then you need to get Jesus Christ. So God does not compensate. He rewards for faithfulness. A reward is a thing given in recognition of service or effort or achievement. So in recognition of your hard work in school and making the honor roll, you receive a trophy. Or recognition of working on a job for 30 years, the company rewards you with a nice gold watch or a pen. Is that equivalent to all the work that you put in? Absolutely not. It's simply a reward or a recognition for your state of being for a period of time. So when you are compensated, you are given something that is equal, supposedly, to the effort that was expended. 
In other words, uh, 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 appropriately paid for your time and your effort. So God will reward you, but in ways that can't be weakened by time. That gold watch that you get after you retire, eventually one day somebody's going to throw it in the garbage. Amen? Yeah, it may last for another hundred years or so, whatever, but eventually most of that stuff is, is, is destined for the garbage can. That additional, additional, if they decide to give you 50% of the money that you earn on your job on the day that you retire in another hundred years, that money is going to be gone. You see, God wants to reward us with things that time and weather and conditions cannot degrade. Those things cannot degrade eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? What can you do to earn that? So, God will reward you, not compensate you. So God will supply all of your needs. All of your needs according to his riches in glory. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 3, verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, God's riches is expansive. At the end of the day, I don't know what your need is. You know. But what I do know about you, by having faith in God, whatever the situation may be, that the Lord is your provider. I know in your situation, on your pile of needs, on your mountain of mistakes and your mountain of mess that he will supply all of your needs. He's going to take care of everything that you need. I don't care what it looks like now. Amen? doesn't make a difference what it looks like now. Keep your eye on Jesus. When it's all coming undone, do what? Keep your eye on Jesus. When it looks like you're coming to the end of your rope, do what? Keep your eye on Jesus. When you finally are ready to give up, keep your eye on Jesus. When people make you sick and tired, keep your eye on Jesus. Because he will supply all of your needs. Because my God, my Lord is my provider. Let's pray.